What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 109 of the DFS Dose Podcast, a special video episode of the show. First time we've done one of these all year, and we are here to preview the Thanksgiving slate on DraftKings, a three-game main slate. We're going to switch up the style of the show. I am, of course, your host, Ben Hover, joined by Joey Carrion, as you can see on the screen if you are watching this on YouTube. Perhaps you're listening in audio. I mean, you're missing out. You have a chance mm-hmm. to see our busted mugs on YouTube. Get over there. What are you doing? But <laughs> on today's show, we are going to get into some slate specifics and we're going to switch things up and go game by game. As I'm sure a lot of you know, there is one of these games heavily in question. So we want to make the format as uh, you know possible for people to digest. If we do see a situation where the Baltimore-Pittsburgh game does get delayed, at least 70% of this podcast will still matter. But before we get into anything, Joey, can you tell the people how they can support the podcast. You can help support the DFS Dose by subscribing to us on YouTube. If you're watching this video right now, make sure you hit that subscribe button down below. We're at a 127 subscribers. So if we can hit that 130 benchmark, that would be terrific. And if you're listening to the podcast on Spotify, Apple, uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Attic, if you're watching the video, you can go over on those apps. We release a podcast every Thursday and every single Monday, every single week for the entire NFL season. We break down each slate and then we recap each slate. So make sure you go over there and subscribe or follow depending on what podcast site you use. And then lastly, you can follow us on Twitter, which will be on the screen right here at the DFS dose. So make sure you go over there and follow us. That's where we tweet out all of the links to our content. So it's just one simple place to digest all of our content on any given day. So make sure you follow us on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. Joe, do you want to tell the people about our content schedule for the week? I know we have uh, some things shifting days. Yeah. So if you're watching this video, it's on Wednesday or listening to the podcast. This is Wednesday for Thursday. It's going to be my Millie maker video slash tournament stack video on YouTube releasing on Thursday. And then for Friday, we will release our NFL week 12 main slate preview per year usual every single Friday in the morning it comes out so that will be uh, ready on Friday and then Ben's cash pool video will also be releasing on Friday and then Ben's cash pool article will be releasing on Saturday instead of Friday this week and then next Monday so a couple days from now six days from now we will be recapping the NFL week 12 slate be on the lookout for all of the content that's coming out literally every single day this week every day the grind doesn't stop looking forward to putting all that out now let's get into this thanksgiving slate starting off with slate specifics now looking at this game from a vegas perspective we do have three games obviously one game at 12 30 eastern one at 4 30 eastern and one at 8 20 eastern our first game is houston at detroit which has the highest total of the week currently set at 51 with the lions as two and a half point home underdogs our second game the middle 4 30 game is washington at dallas with a 46 total, the Cowboys are home favorites here by three. And then finally, another home favorite in the Steelers, who are hosting the Ravens. Steelers favored by four. Interestingly, you will notice that the totals go down consistently. So we're starting off hot with the Detroit-Houston game, and then we're finishing with the Steelers 
and Ravens with the lowest total on the slate. Houston does have the highest implied team total on the road with 26.75. Every other team's implied team total is below 25 on this slate. What stands out to you in the slate of games? I think the Texans and Detroit Lions game stands out as the early game. I think that is going to provide the most fantasy potential, in my opinion, with Two, you know, pretty solid offenses, especially if the Lions can get some of their skill position players back, and then two largely bad defenses. So there's going to be a lot of fantasy goodness in that game. Um, not really too excited about the Washington Dallas game, but I think there are individually some good plays in that game. And then we'll touch on it probably after the, the Cowboys game, but the Ravens and Steelers game might not even play, but we're going to proceed as if it is. And in that game, I, I I think that's kind of a a game where you stack it and it's because defense doesn't matter um and I think that some of the players in that game are going to be lower owned than others and could provide you some leverage on the field especially if you want to bink one of these uh, high dollar tournaments that they have for this Thanksgiving slate yeah in general I agree with everything you just said and we'll get into each game specifically in a moment here in terms of the Thanksgiving slate in general from like a general overview sense you know you'll hear on any podcast or, or video that you watch breaking this stuff down this week that Thanksgiving is the best slate of the year and you know why do the DFS professionals think that well it's because you know there's <laughs> this general perception that you know a lot of the quote-unquote public you know inexperienced DFS players are going to come and play because you know there's three games they can watch all the games you know it's thanksgiving everybody's laid back they want to get some action and and that makes sense to me and i think that to a certain extent it's true but i do want to caution people like i don't think that you know more than like 10 percent of the field on DraftKings are going to be like stone fish you know have no subscription to a premium service or or you know any idea what they're doing i think that the majority of people will know what they're doing i mean i know DraftKings is pumping out the uh you know the incentives to get new players on there putting out a bunch of free tickets on you know their partners in the dfs industry to get people joined in there and get them you know playing this million dollar tournament on thanksgiving so there 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 is an edge especially i think in cash games and and the other final point that i want to make from a general overview sense is that we have three games that are all spaced out in solo spots which means that late swap will be very important this week just like we saw two weeks ago yeah i definitely agree with everything that you said and then just touching on you know the new users coming in there would definitely be new users on thanksgiving like you mentioned everybody's going to be at home stuffing their faces with some thanksgiving dinner eating some turkey hanging out with the fam so obviously there's going to be new players they're just going to want to gamble on the games a little bit but like you mentioned a lot of these players have access to these premium services like roto grinders which i know is very popular so it's not like they are clear-cut fish clear-cut donkeys but there, there could still be an edge there, which is why people love this slate. And then definitely late swap is going to be very important. And I think that's where the edge comes in for this slate because those casual players on Thanksgiving aren't going to be doing that. So it'll definitely give you leverage on the field if you utilize that feature uh, on Thanksgiving. Yeah, I mean, hell, even, even a large portion of like experienced players won't be late swapping so i definitely think that that is quite possibly the biggest edge that you will have on thanksgiving is utilizing that and seeing where you are in the standings and making the proper pivots Mm -hmm. uh where need be so without any further ado let's get into our first game uh the 12 30 game we have houston at 
Detroit, my Detroit Lions, Stone Cold tradition, got to get the Lions in there, cause <laughs> a little extra misery for me on Thanksgiving. And this is not looking like a game where I think Lions fans will be happy. I mean, I don't see how, you know, a Lions team that looked completely helpless against PJ Walker is going to be able to hold off Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans in this game. Yeah, I think this is a spot to target the Texans as the Lions defense just can't stop opposing wide receivers, can't stop opposing quarterbacks, and can't stop opposing running backs. So obviously a great spot for Watson, a great spot for Duke Johnson, which we can touch on in a minute, and a great spot for the Texans wide receivers. And I think that is one of the biggest decision points on this slate. Are we going to play Duke Johnson this this week at 5,700 in one of the best spots for the entire week 12. Although this man has been trash ever since David Johnson has left with an injury. 10 <sighs> attempts for three catches last week, six points. In week 10 against Cleveland as Stone Chalk, 54 yards, 5.4 points, 14 attempts, no catches. So are we playing Duke Johnson in our tournament teams? I think that is one of the more important decisions for players on Thanksgiving? Well, so, well, the first thing I want to say is that I think that Duke Johnson has been trashed long before David Johnson got hurt. I want to say that out there. I think that this is a player who has had unwarranted hype about him for a long time. Now, Mm -hmm. that being said, this is a really difficult spot to get away from him priced at 5,700. Now his price has risen in three consecutive games, despite being entirely unproductive in his two starts for the Texans. Now, last week, the interesting thing that I saw looking at his usage is that he went from handling 95% of the snaps that we saw in that disastrous wind game against Cleveland to only seeing 77% of snaps last week. The encouraging thing is that he did see five targets. Now, it it was weird in that Cleveland game. I I mean, I think that we can kind of throw that game away because the conditions just altered it. But Duke didn't have any role in the receiving game, which is kind of what makes him a theoretically valuable asset. It was good to see that he had five targets. And going against this Lions team, I don't see any way that the Lions find themselves in a positive game script. I think that Houston should be leaning on Duke Johnson in the spot, especially towards the end of the game when they're likely going to be up. Duke Johnson, I think he's a good play, and I think that you can play him this week because the rest of the running backfield is is pretty um, barren. You know, it's a wasteland out there. Yeah, I definitely agree, and I, I think Duke Johnson will be popular this week. Although, you know, the consensus around the industry, around the DFS community, is that you know Duke Johnson isn't the player. That he was hyped up to be and he is pretty trash and the Texans don't utilize their running backs in a viable fantasy way. So I, I think it's tough to, to fade him and I'll be playing him in a couple lineups, but I don't think I'll be 100% on, but I think a running back that is in a great spot, probably the best spot out of any single running back in week 12 is DeAndre Swift at yeah. home against a Houston defense that literally gets obliterated by by opposing running backs. And at 6,500, I I think DeAndre Swift is a lock if he plays, so... Yeah, I mean, I I agree 100% with that. I think Swift is probably the best pure running back play on the slate. He did return to practice on Tuesday, and the injury that held him out last week was just, you know, being stuck in the concussion protocol. So that's not something that should hamper his play in any way whatsoever. Once he's back, he should be 100% good. 6,500, I really don't see how you get away from Swift in this spot. I mean, even if 
the Lions are in a negative game script like we expect them to be, that's good because Swift is a legit pass-catching threat. Uh, um, Kenny Galladay also missed practice on Tuesday, so he is trending in the wrong direction, which would only increase the potential target share that Swift sees in this spot. Absolutely love DeAndre Swift. Yeah, I love Swift too. And say if he's out, I think I would be more inclined to play carry on Johnson. Uh, carry on played on 70% of the Lions snaps uh, last week. I think a little bit more than 70% had more touches than Adrian Peterson. So I think he would be the guy to roster over AP at a lower salary, but hopefully we don't have to consider uh, AP or carry on Johnson in this spot because God, they are, they are just pure dust. Carry on. What's his price? He's not even men, right? It's like 40 He's 43. Carry on Johnson is 4,300. 43. AP is 4,700. Oh God. They had to give him a nice uh, price boost after that 1.8 points that he scored <laughs> last week. Um, but let, let's not talk about these dusty Detroit backups. I think that the highlight of this game, in my opinion, is Deshaun Watson. So one thing that I think is really important with these small slates, you know, three game slates, stuff like that, is identifying what players at each position have a chance to separate from the group. And I think Deshaun Watson is the highest ceiling quarterback on mm -hmm. this slate. He has three games with 29 DraftKings points or more. No other quarterback has more than one. Three of the six starters on this slate haven't hit 29 points once all year. So Deshaun Watson to me has the highest ceiling and he has the most likely chance of hitting that ceiling. Like you said, the I mean, this Lions defense is going to be no threat to him and he has great stacking options in Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks, in my opinion, like, uh, like Watson is one of the best plays on the slate. He is the lowest priced player, in my opinion, with a realistic shot to score 25 plus points. If you look at every player in, in the skill range, Brandon Cooks is priced extremely fairly, 5,300. And, you know, he only had five targets last week, but he had eight or more targets in five straight games prior to that. So Brandon Cooks, I think, is one of the clear-cut best values on the slate, and his upside is, is really high relative to, uh, you know, players in his price range. Yeah, I definitely don't mind Brandon Cooks. I think I would rather uh, pair Will Fuller with Deshaun Watson in tournaments. I think Will Fuller has a higher ceiling than Brandon Cooks, so I'd be more inclined to play Fuller at 6,400 over Cooks at 5,300, but he's still a fine play. Uh, it looks like Kenny Galladay isn't going to be back, so we won't be able to play him at 6,000, which would probably be one of the best plays on the board in terms of uh, point per dollar. And I think the key to this slate is finding cheap wide receiver value that is going to be low owned mm -hmm. in tournaments, especially if you go the DeAndre Swift, Zeke Elliott, Antonio Gibson, etc. route at running back. You're going to need to save salary, especially if you play Deshaun Watson at quarterback. And I think one of my favorite value plays on the board is Kiki Cootie at 3,400 with Randall Cobb ruled out. Kenny Stills is questionable and it looks like he's going to be ruled out too. Cootie came in to relief as the wide receiver three, saw four targets against New England, scored one touchdown. So I think him at 3,400 would be in play as a pay down wide receiver. And then just in general for tournament theory on this three game slate, you're going to need to hit on one of these cheap wide receivers if you want to win uh, the big bucks this week, in my opinion. So he's one of the players that I'm going to be playing 
in my tournament lineups uh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I think that one of these 3K guys will be in the, you know, in every winning lineup for these mm-hmm. tournaments. And I think that Cutie is one of three guys that I that I think could be that person. I think there's one in each game and Cutie is the one in this game that, I, that I'm most interested in. Like you said, Randall Cobb out. And, and I think that he fits directly right into that slot role. I mean, he should be, you know, pound for pound playing as many snaps as Randall Cobb did and have that exact same role yep. without much of a downgrade, if a downgrade at all, right? So. Yep. And then I just want to mention one more person at the tight end position, which we could touch on real quick. I think Jordan Aikens at 2,900 yep. is one of my favorite tournament tight end plays on the board especially when you have uh, tj hawkinson mark andrews on this slate dalton schultz uh, and logan thomas i think jordan akins will get lost in the shuffle and at 2900 it's, it's just a cheap price tag for a player that can see five six targets in every in any single game and, and i think he has a chance to smash this week against the lions so he's one of my favorite tournament plays as well and he and he's a salary saver so works out agreed i i don't think he's necessarily like quote-unquote safe but i mean if you cut ca- if he catches a touchdown and like two balls at 2900 you're absolutely sailing to the money and i mean darren fells for 2700 too in terms of large field has shown the ability to have good games the problem mm-hmm. with the texans is they rotate three tight ends so you never really know where it's going to go but i think akins is the most athletic so mm-hmm. you know realistically has the most upside the most opportunity to like make something of the plays that he does have a chance to get so um, yeah, Aikens is definitely a standout to me. Hawkinson, you could say he's in play as well at 4,700, um, especially in game stacks. But, you know, personally, without Galladay there, I, I don't see myself um, wasting any lineups with Matthew Stafford. And I'll just be looking maybe for TJ Hawkinson bring backs or potentially something like a Marvin Jones bring back. Um, any interest in Jones before we move on at, at 5,500 had a pretty big game in week 10, 23.6 DraftKings points only had 9.1 DraftKings points last week, but also had a 51 yard touchdown called off the board. So, I mean, we could have been looking at, you know, basically two 20 point games back to back with Marvin Jones, and he would have been, you know, probably closer to 6k if that touchdown didn't get called back. Yeah, I definitely like Marvin Jones this week as a, you know, mid range wide receiver value. And as the wide receiver one, if Kenny Galladay's out, I think he has potential to see eight to 10 targets in this spot, especially if we can project the Lions to be losing in this matchup. So I don't, I don't mind Marvin Jones. I think he is a good play. But definitely not going to be locking him into all of my lineups. I think I'll probably have about 50% Marvin Jones. All right. Yeah, I like him. He's my favorite piece to bring back with Texan stacks. And like I said, I won't be stacking uh, Stafford in this in, on this slate. So mm-hmm. uh, let's move on to our second game, Washington at Dallas. And you touched on this in slate specifics, and I couldn't agree more. I don't think that this is a game that you stack. I think that there are really strong pieces in this game at multiple positions, and I'm interested in playing those guys, but the quarterbacks, Alex Smith and Andy Dalton, they just don't have the upside. I think that there are limitations, you know, on these players as, you know, the type of players they are that just cap the potential to see multiple skill positions hit their ceiling. So I personally won't be playing either of these quarterbacks, but some of the best plays on the slate do come from this game, and one of them 
is Ezekiel Elliott, who, in my opinion, will be the highest owned player on this slate, potentially by a wide margin. Yeah, I definitely think Zeke is a phenomenal play at 6,800, too cheap for the workload that he's receiving on a weekly basis. Now, his receptions have declined ever since Dak came out of the starting lineup. Like, I mean, this dude was getting six catches, six catches, eight catches in three straight games. Now he's relegated to one or two catches a game. So not much receiving upside with Zeke, but the volume is there at home in a good matchup. I definitely like Zeke a lot. Um, I, I think Antonio Gibson may be my favorite running back play on the board besides DeAndre Swift this week at 6,000. I mean, we saw Antonio Gibson just a couple weeks ago play Dallas, scored 21.8 points, had 128 yards, and this Dallas defense can just get exposed by opposing running backs. So I think this is a good spot for Antonio Gibson. And you could get crazy and play Zeke and Antonio Gibson in the same lineup, although it negatively correlates. I think uh, having those two in your lineup, not a lot of people will do that uh, on Thanksgiving. And, and that's just one way to get leverage on the field. So I kind of like roster constructions with those two guys. Yeah. So let me hit on a couple of things that you said. So first of all, Zeke, while his receiving role has gone down, he did have 10 targets in Andy Dalton's first start. So if there is a possible outcome where Washington is leading in this game. I do think that we could see Zeke be used in that fashion. And to Mm -hmm. that point and to the Gibson point, um, there was an issue today where one of the Cowboys, I think it was their strength and conditioning coach had a medical emergency and it, it stopped uh, the Cowboys practice today and everybody got sent home on Tuesday. So, I mean, missing a practice uh, on a short week is extremely detrimental. It's not like this was a monster team that can just bounce back because their preparation has been so good. You know, obviously mm-hmm. best wishes for the coach. I, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his name, but um, it, it doesn't set up well, I think, for Dallas. I think it increases the opportunity for Washington to win in this game despite being underdogs by three in this spot. So that does, in my opinion, um, you know, boost Antonio Gibson. Now, this is a near even split in the Washington backfield. Gibson played 53% of snaps last week. McKissick played on 52%. So there's obviously a little bit of overlap in both of them being on the field at the same time. But this was the first time in five games that Gibson had been on the field for over 50% of snaps. He is still very much a part-time player right now. So he could get there. He's been efficient. He's been explosive. And I think his ceiling is there. I just wouldn't recommend playing him in cash games if you are, in fact, playing cash on on Thanksgiving. Yeah, I could definitely see that. But I think they're starting to realize that Antonio Gibson is the best running back on the team and deserves to be on the field more. And I know they haven't played him on third downs, but it's not like he he isn't capable. Like, God forbid, this dude was a wide receiver in college, so he can obviously catch the ball really well. They just want McKissick in that role, which is unfortunate and obviously uh, kind of limits Gibson's upside. But I think with him being a very explosive player and like you said, he's been very efficient, uh, that will help him get there in terms of ceiling. And then I just want to mention one point. I think there's an edge in fading games with two bad offenses. So I think around the industry, people will see like there's two bad defenses in this game and that the offenses should magically become good out of nowhere and put up an insane amount of points and and make some of these guys the highest owned plays on the slate. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think if we have two bad offenses, I think the process is you fade 
these bad offenses in good spots, kind of. It, it really isn't a good spot for the Washington offense, I don't think. So I'm not going to be playing many of these guys. Uh, I think there are some decent plays. Like I think McLaurin is obviously a great play at 7,000. But other than that, I wouldn't really target Washington wide receivers. Amari Cooper, CD Lamb, and Gallup are, are still too cheap in my opinion. But I don't think it's a great matchup for them. Washington has been tough against opposing wide receivers. So I don't think I will have much exposure to them. I don't know. Am I, am I wrong to, to fade those players in tournaments or, or am I bugging? I mean, I think that there's still possibility for you know, certain players to go off in this game. But kind of like I said at the beginning, I just don't want to stack it because there, I just don't see these offenses having smash spots, kind of like you're saying. So like I'll play, you know, Lamb and Gibson as, you know, correlated one-offs in a lineup. But I, I think that in general, I want to hold the amount of players that I have in a given lineup from this game to be like two, maybe three max, but probably mm-hmm. two, you know, maybe a Dallas receiver and Terry McLaurin. Or, you know, a, a Washington running back in one of one of the Cowboys receivers. But ultimately, I mean, I, I think that there are good plays. Like I think Cooper's uh for his ceiling is underpriced at 5.7k, led the Dallas receivers in targets. I think Lamb, you know, who had one of the most impressive catches you'll see all year last week, was second in targets with six, also added two rushing attempts, so eight total opportunities, and then Gallup is 3,500, and he is one of the three players below 4K at wide receiver that I think has a high enough ceiling that he could find himself in tournament winning lineup. So I think all three guys are viable. I just wouldn't want more than one of them in a given lineup because I don't think Andy Dalton is going to propel them uh, to a point where two of them are needed to win a tournament. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, and I think we're pretty much on the same page in terms of this game. We're not going to be stacking this game. We're not going to be playing Andy Dolan and Alex Smith, except for maybe in one lineup just to have some exposure. But other than that, I think this is a game where, you know, like you said, you you play two players as a mini stack, a mini correlation, and you target the other games. So two questions to finish this off. The first is, say you're playing 10 tournament teams, you know, how many of them are you playing Zeke in? If I had to give a rough number, probably six. Okay. Because I think that his ownership will probably be 60 to 70%. Yeah. Like we saw this last year. I'm pretty sure it was Alvin Kamara who was the clear cut best play and he was like 80%. Because like mm-hmm. the, the thing about this is, I mean, we have DeAndre Swift and then we have these Washington guys. But other than that, it's like, you know, the two Ravens running backs, maybe if that game plays. And then we have, you know, James Conner in a pretty bad spot. So what, people are going to play Swift, I mean, Duke Johnson. There are definitely viable ways, I guess, to get away from Zeke if he doesn't have a monster game. Mm -hmm. And he really hasn't had a monster game. So, you know, this is sort of a larger point, but I think that you can get away from Zeke. I Depending on what his ownership is projected to be, I think will depend on how much I want to play him. But I personally think that I want to be underweight on Zeke in this spot, find some value at running backs, because to me, I would rather pay up at wide receiver. You know, the, the Pittsburgh guys... Um, and Terry McLaurin, who who's the other thing that I want to talk about here. I mean, let's give Terry McLaurin, you know, a little shout out here. He's priced at 7K flat. He is the highest priced non-quarterback on the slate. And he's been absolutely amazing this year. He's seeing the sixth most targets per game, 9.3 on average. He has the second largest share of team air yards in the entire NFL, accounting for 46.5% of Washington's team targets. Just absolutely amazing. I'm sorry, team air yards. And Dallas is allowing the second most fantasy points per game to wide receivers. I think Terry is high priced at 7K. It's not a value, 
but he he's got to be in in your lineups. I mean, I'd be more pressed to play Terry McLaurin for 200 more than Zeke if given the opportunity straight up. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you on everything that you said. Terry McLaurin is probably the best wide receiver play on the board this week, in my opinion. So I'm definitely going to have a lot of exposure to McLaurin. And then 100%, I will say, I am going to take shots on these cheap Washington wide receivers, Steven Sims, Cam Sims, uh, Dontrell Inman, have to do more research on them and who's playing the most. But they're all between 31 and 3,300. And like I mentioned in the first game, you're going to need to smash on one of these cheap wide receivers if you want to be unique and if you want to win tournaments. So I'm definitely going to take a shot on a guy like Steven Sims Jr., who has shown you know, mm-hmm. just as recently as last season that he does have, you know, a 20, 25 point ceiling hasn't shown it in 2020 so far, but if he can get five, six targets, then it's all about, can he capitalize on those six targets and maybe score a long touchdown? And, you know, that's what this week is. You're just going to have to take shots on some of these thinner guys that are getting opportunity that are getting targets and hopes to win tournaments. You're not going to win if you don't, in my opinion. So just had, just had to throw that in there with the Washington wide receiver talk. Yeah. Uh, Steven Sims to me is, is the one of the two Sims that I would prefer between the two Washington uh, backup wide receivers. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to our last game, Baltimore at Pittsburgh. Now, The Ravens saw a flurry of positive COVID tests on Tuesday. Adam Schefter tweeted that if they see any more, there's a high likelihood that this game gets postponed. Now, I mean, Joey, let's be real here. The NFL does not want to lose this game. They don't want to lose one third of their action on Thanksgiving, one of the most watched days of football. And ultimately, that's what matters to the NFL. I I think it's pretty obvious to say that. Yeah, I mean... Like, we've seen no positive tests on Sundays for the entire year. Yeah. Do you think that is because there are actually no positive tests? Or do you think that's because they don't want to cancel games? Um, I- I'll let the listeners uh, think on that one for a minute. But, yeah, I mean, we're just going to proceed as if this game is playing. Obviously, this video will be out before we get any news on positive COVID tests and if the game is going to get postponed or canceled or whatever. But, you know, like I just said, we're going to, we're going to act as if it is playing. So, uh, just talking about this game real quick. And I just want to bring it back to a point that you brought up, uh, with Dallas missing a practice. Baltimore isn't practicing the whole week. And I, and you touched on it when talking about the Dallas coach. If this team isn't practicing all week, Going up against, you know, one of the toughest matchups in the NFL in the Pittsburgh defense on the road, it's going to be a tough time for the Baltimore Ravens on Thursday if that game gets played. It is. It is. And I think it's going to be a tough time for the Ravens defense as well, trying to match up with, you know, one of the past happiest teams in the league in Pittsburgh, who's really been turning it up. I'm pretty sure that they're passing at the third highest rate in in neutral situations. Um, And, you know, to me, this game, I think, has the most opportunity for leverage on the field. I think that most of the ownership on say wide receivers and potentially two of the highest owned running backs and Swift and Duke will come in the first game. 
Um, the highest ownership at quarterback will come in the first game with Deshaun Watson. And I think that there will be a lot of ownership in the middle game as well on guys like McLaurin and Zeke. You know, like we both mentioned, that is a game that I think that we want to be underweight on as a whole. So this game, you know, with these two teams, it has the lowest total, but we saw, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it combined for over 50 points. I think it was 52 in their first matchup. So I like this game a lot. And there are also some of the highest ceiling plays on the slate in this game, you know, specifically the two Steelers wide receivers, Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool. Yeah, I definitely like the idea of being overweight on the field in terms of this game. Like you mentioned, it's one of the best games to stack to get leverage on. So, I mean, God, Deontay Johnson at 6,200, smash play. Chase Claypool at 6,100, smash play. Not going to include Juju. This man hurt his ankle by stepping on a flag. Like, you're just soft at that point. Even Deontay Johnson wouldn't get hurt doing that. Okay. Wow. Well, maybe he would, but <laughs> who, who knows with with uh, him. But Juju at 5900 that's a solid price tag if he plays. And these three Pittsburgh wide receivers are three of the highest ceiling plays on the slate. And I'm definitely going to be playing... Uh, all all three of these guys, and I'm going to have a lot of lineups where I play at least two of these guys, preferably Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool. And yep. just just real quick, just discussing prices, for me, I think I'd rather play Deontay Johnson at 6,200 rather than James Conner at 6,200. I, I know they're different positions, but the field could be on James Conner this week, you know, going up against a Ravens defense that could be without Brandon Williams and Calais Campbell again, which would obviously make the matchup pretty good for James Conner. But this man just looks absolutely slow out there. He gets taken off the field in the high value touch situations at the goal line, in the five yard line, in the 10 yard line. So I think I'd be more inclined just to just to go with the wide receiver over the running back at the same price. Yeah, I 100% agree with you there. I mean, I, there's a realistic opportunity that maybe one running back tops 20 points on this entire slate. If that, I mean, we could mm -hmm. realistically see the entire field fall short of that mark. And I think that one of the keys is to you know, play four wide receiver lineups. This yeah. No, no question about it. And um, to the point of stacking Deontay and Claypool, that is, I mean, I was going to talk about this, but I mean, it just fits here. Um, I think that that is my favorite double stack, Big Ben to those two wide receivers, Claypool and Johnson and, and just fly hmm. that. That's what I want to be. Big Ben is going to be my favorite stack outside of the, the Texan stack with Deshaun Watson. If I, if I'm going to be playing, you know, say 10 lineups, I think eight of them would come between those two quarterbacks. That's where I want to have the bulk of my action because once we get up to the price point of Lamar Jackson at 6,800, I mean, I would rather just get to Watson at 74. At least you're getting, you know, a decent $800 discount to go down to uh, Ben Roethlisberger. And I think that, you know, regardless of what we think and how the practice will you know, affect the Ravens in general, a lot of people will probably not want to play Big Ben against this perceived tough uh, Ravens defense. Yeah, I definitely agree on that point. And I, I don't mind Big Ben in tournaments. Um, it's just you have to hope that he throws for four touchdowns uh, in, in this spot if you want to win a tournament. And at 6,600, I, I think I'd rather just get up to Deshaun Watson, like you said, uh, with Lamar Jackson, I, I think that's how I feel with Big Ben too, but I, I don't mind playing Big Ben stacks this week. And touching on Lamar Jackson at 6,800, he's, he's probably, 
going to be lower owned than Watson, than Big Ben, I think, and maybe even a cheap quarterback like Alex Smith uh, due to the Ravens' positive test. They're going to be missing some key offensive players on a short week going into Pittsburgh in a tough matchup. So, I mean, I like taking a shot on Lamar in these large field tournaments at 6,800 because we know that he does still have 30-point upside on in any given matchup. Hasn't really done it this year, but say he can reach the 100-yard bonus on the ground, he could be a tournament winner at 6,800. I know it would be a, a tough ask for him to do that, but he did run 16 times against Pittsburgh in their first matchup for 65 yards and lost two fumbles, though. So I think I like the idea of playing Lamar just naked in tournaments. I wouldn't stack him with any of the Ravens wide receivers because Hollywood Brown, bum-ass yeah. mother. Oh my God, he's so bad. Yeah, he's definitely a bona fide scrub. Definitely not in play. And I think a lot of people will play him because of his price tag. I mean, that that's an easy fade. Yeah. Easy fade. And I mean, if he buries me, I mean, I might just have to retire from DFS on Thanksgiving because <laughs> that's totally the spot where, you know, we spend the last two podcasts bashing him and then he drops 30 on our heads and zero of our lineups. God, <laughs> I can already see it happening. But uh, I'm pretty confident that he's just a bona fide scrub and he won't get there. I mean, Mark Andrews definitely has a lot of upside to separate from the field at 5,200, highest price tight end on the slate. But I mean, he can definitely get there. He would be my favorite stacking partner with Lamar. And I, I agree that I think it's viable to go there naked. I mean, he's had 11 or more carries in four straight games now. And J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram are not going to play in this game, COVID. So we have Gus Edwards, the bus, you know, a player that we had a Rutgers insider, you know, confirm that Gus Edwards is the type of player that you can go to war with. So, I mean, that's good to hear. So Gus Edwards, I think, is, is a phenomenal play in this spot. Had 100 yards against the Steelers, and he's coming in at the min at 4K flat. So so Gus Edwards is strong. And Justice Hill, complete trap in my opinion. No thank you. Yeah, I definitely am not playing Justice Hill in any lineup. Definitely a trap. I know he's gotten some buzz in the fantasy community over the last couple days. Yeah, no shot. Gus is the guy there. And at 4K, I think he could be one of the higher owned running backs if this game plays. Oh, I, yeah, I, I definitely think he will be up there in terms of ownership. Um, just a clear cut value on a slate where there is not many good value plays in terms of good players. But I think Gus Edwards is a legit good running back, just obviously hasn't had the opportunity. But this is a spot where he could see 15 to 20 touches. And I mean, he, he had 16 touches in the first matchup against Pittsburgh and averaged 5.4 yards per carry and had 87 yards. Uh, so I don't mind playing Gus Edwards. I wouldn't obviously play him in the same lineup as Lamar. So I would uh, play Gus Edwards in, in my Deshaun Watson or, or Big Ben lineups. But I, I think he's a very good play on a slate where we're not going to see players at that price tag in starting roles often. Yeah, I also think that he's a strong fade to be honest with you. I mean, I'd be more likely to play him in cash and there are definitely paths like I, I won't full fade him. But I mean, his ceiling is potentially limited. I think that the Ravens getting blown out in this spot, especially with their COVID issues and their lack of practices is a legit threat. And, and Edwards is not going to be getting 
passing game work right so he's not game flow independent so there's definitely a shot that he busts and is just a waste of space in a lot of people's lineups so Mm -hmm. i i do like the idea of targeting some higher upside guys like swift or duke or one of the washington guys obviously zeke um and just kind of excluding him from a lot of my tournament lineups so that's something i'm thinking about but uh, if you are playing cash i think you just you just jam him at 4k flat and you know it's easy you're gonna get a lot of touches he has the opportunity with Ingram and Dobbins out to potentially see the most snaps that any single running back has seen in Baltimore this this season because I don't think the Ravens have much interest in Justice Hill either to be completely honest <laughs> yeah I think that is all I've got for that game we can move on if you have any tournament takes that you want to give to the people now would be the time I I think if you listen or watched Throughout the whole video, I, I think you know where I stand in tournaments. It's all about finding those cheap wide receivers that are going to smash. We saw it last year with, I think it was Danny Amendola and Cole Beasley coming in as the smash uh, wide receivers that were like 4,200 or under. And I think that is the case this week. You're just going to have to find one cheap guy maybe two cheap guys that go off for 18 20 points to set your lineups apart and i mean we already mentioned a couple in kiki cootie and steven sims jr who who was the guy in the in the last game that you liked oh that yeah was cheap? i forgot uh my boy does does bryant i mean he, this man out targeted marquise brown in his first game action in years and I, I I mean, come on, Hollywood Brown, clear scrub and will probably have some ownership does his natural leverage. And, you know, he could ca- he could catch two touchdowns inside the 10 yard line. I mean, I don't think he's going to be catching 50 yard bombs. You know, I know he's an old man, but I mean, come on, this is Des Bryant. Let's put some respect on his name. <laughs> yeah, 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 man, I, I respect it, but I probably won't go there. <laughs> Um, could run it back this year again with Danny Amendola if he plays at 3,700. Uh, I, I wouldn't be too mad about that if you, if you played him. I think Gallup at 3,500 is interesting, but that's where I stand in tournaments. All about finding the cheap wide receiver that is going to blow up this week to, to win you a million dollars. And then obviously you got to just hit on every single player in a three game slate. So, yeah, I mean, there will be a little more margin for error in the smaller fields, but yeah, like it's not a spot where you're going to want to be taking L's. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be playing McKissick this week because I don't think his ceiling is high enough to snap, uh, to smash these um tournaments which you're going to need to kind of hit in every position like joey said unless you know the whole field busts but you don't want to play anticipating that Uh, my tournament takes are like joey said i mean you probably could tell what they are but for me it's going to be you know not game stacking the middle game and pretty much focusing on watson and big ben stacks maybe a little bit of lamar jackson in there and I think that you're going to need at least one Steelers wide receiver to win, maybe two. That's that's my favorite positional group to attack is Claypool and Deontay in the in the mid six Ks. I think that Will Fuller is going to be good leverage off Brandon Cooks. If you look at any projections, Brandon Cooks is um, you know profiling as one of the best value plays on the slate, so that's going to drive his ownership up. And I think that Will Fuller at 6,400, kind of priced in between those two Steelers guys and Terry McLaurin, is going to get potentially overlooked, especially considering the fact that he hasn't had one of those slate breaking performances yet this year you know nothing nothing insane and we know that's within his range i mean he could destroy the slate so will fuller's leverage off of brandon cooks is the other take i have and like i said finally four wide receivers is the lineup construction that we want to attack in tournaments this week yeah and i mean just from a tournament perspective in 2020 four wide receivers has been 
the most winning strategy in terms of the millimaker. Seven millimaker winners have used four wide receivers. Three have used three running backs and one has used double tight end. So you want to target the four wide receiver lineup. So just keep that in the back of your mind. And I think we can end this podcast off with our favorite tournament players. Who is going to win somebody a million dollars? I will start. I have two. One of those guys is Kiki Cootie. And I think the other is Jordan Aikens. I think you're going to need one of those guys in your Millie Maker lineups to win $1 million this week. So I, I will be playing them heavy. Okay. And I think that the guy that I will put my stamp behind is Chase Claypool. Look, I love this guy. I think that Deontay is great and Deontay might see more targets, but Chase Claypool is an official grown ass man. He's the new baby Tron. I know that used to be Kenny G, but I mean, Chase Claypool is literally looking like, you know, rookie season Megatron out there. So give me some Chase Claypool action as the preferred Pittsburgh wide receiver. I think that he will be in the tournament winning lineups this week. All right, you heard it here first. Uh, Play those three guys and you're going to win a million dollars. Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to be it for us on this episode of the DFS Dose podcast. If you watch the YouTube video, we appreciate it. If you're listening on audio, make sure you sub to the YouTube channel. And thank you for listening as well. Like Joey said at the top of the show, we're available on every podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, as well as the YouTube channel, which you are likely watching this video on. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose on the screen and our personal Twitters as well. I'm at Ben Hover, B-E-N-H-A-U-V-E-R. Joey, tell them where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at Joey Carrion DFS. All right, guys, let's have a phenomenal Thanksgiving slate. Happy holidays, and we will talk to you on Friday.